Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 213. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT Podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Now, welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by an amazing member from the Blueprint MCAT team. This week, we're continuing our breakdown of BioBioChem Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1 BioBioChem Section 4. If you want to follow along, you can do so even in our YouTube channel, premed.tv, where we have a video reviewing the actual section and all of the questions and answers and charts and images and everything else that go along with it. Again, that's premed.tv. If you're looking for some more MCAT help, look no further than Blueprint MCAT over at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. With their free resources, including a half-length diagnostic, the first full length for free, and their amazing online study schedule planner, you get all those amazing resources for free to help set you up for success on your MCAT. Again, go check them out at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Joya back for another week of the MCAT podcast. I'm excited to have you back to share your wisdom. Last Fun week, to be back. last week we got beat up by, uh, or I got beat up by the street <laughs> section. But uh, as you suggested, I'm only looking two feet in front of me, uh, and and I'm gonna lie to myself and I say, I know that every time the WMC gives a hard set of discretes, that the passage is usually pretty easy on the on the next turn. So. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that the WMC is not going to let me down this time, or Blueprint specifically for Fourth <laughs> One. Believe it. All right, um, all right. Let's go ahead and jump into uh, Blueprint Full Length One Bio Biochem Passage Four that everyone gets for free if they want to go sign up for it over at BlueprintPrep.com. Absolutely love this passage. Oh, all right. That means it's going to be hard because <laughs> you, you like hard things. I, I do like hard things. That's a very good like one-liner of me as a person. Um, but all right, great. So let's just start reading it. We're going to do the same thing that I kind of always do. I read my bio bio chem like a car's passage. going to go back and highlight at the end of each paragraph. So eosinophils, I don't know how to pronounce that. Eosinophils? Mm-hmm. 
Eosinophils are multifunctional leukocytes implicated in the pathogenesis of numerous inflammatory processes, including tissue injury, infection, and allergic reactions. Eosinophils have been shown to possess the ability to perform multiple immune functions, including antigen presentation and exacerbation of inflammatory responses through their capacity to release a range of preformed cytokines and lipid mediators. For example, eosinophils can induce tissue damage and dysfunction by releasing an array of cytotoxic granule proteins, one of which is eosinophil cationic protein, or ECP. This release is termed degranulation. Okay. <laughs> Immuno, lots of words. Yep. I think I'm going to go back and highlight many of these words. So I will start with eosinophils. It seems like they're the focus of this paragraph. I'm going to highlight it. They are leukocytes, so I'm going to highlight that as well. That's something it seems like I should know. And they are part of inflammatory processes, so I'll highlight inflammatory processes. Do I need to highlight exactly which ones there are? No, these are pretty vague, right? Tissue injury, infection, allergic. I'm not going to highlight that. I just want to know it's inflammatory. Great. Then I know that they do these immune functions, and I do care about the specific immune functions that they perform, so I'm going to highlight antigen presentation and exacerbation of an inflammatory response. Great. And then how do they do that? They do that by releasing a range of preformed cytokines and lipid mediators. So that's great. I love when they tell me that something does a function by doing something else or through doing something else. That usually tells me I want to highlight it. It's the way that it works. And then this even more specific one in this example they gave me was my cytokine granule protein. So I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to highlight my definition of ECP because that's what my even more specific is. And then lastly, I'll highlight degranulation. So now I feel happy that I've gotten the main words that I need to know. These are probably the things I'm going to have to come back to. I don't expect to have these memorized. I just want my eye to be able to jump to the important part of the passage when I inevitably come back to it during the questions. So that feels good. I'm going to move on to the next paragraph. So human natural killer, or NK cells, are large granular lymphocytes that can play a cytotoxic role against stressed, transformed, or infected cells. NK cells are known to have immunoregulatory effects on immune cells, such as T cells, B cells, monocytes, and neutrophils, through cell-cell contact and secretion of various soluble products. However, few studies have evaluated the potential interactions between NK cells and eosinophils. Researchers designed a series of studies with the goal of characterizing activating or inhibitory effects of NK cells on eosinophils in vitro. Love it. They are telling me what they're going to do. So I love when this happens because that means I understand what the researchers are doing and that lets me understand the study. So once again, I'm going to get some vocab down and then I'm going to get the main point of this. So human natural killer or NK cells. I want that. That's what they are. And they are granular lymphocytes. So I'll highlight granular lymphocytes. And what do they do? They play a cytotoxic role. So I'm going to hire, cyto- hire highlight cytotoxic role because that's what they do. And then I'll also highlight immunoregulatory effects, because that's something else that they do. So now I have a good sense of what's an NK cell, what does it do, what does it look like? And then I want to know how they have these immunoregulatory effects. Just like last time, I wanted to know how they do an inflammatory, uh, an exacerbation of inflammatory responses. Here, I want to know how do they have immunoregulatory effects, and that is cell-cell contact and secretion of various soluble products. So now I've got the who, the what, and the how. 
And then lastly, I want to know, what did the researchers do? Well, they were doing all these studies to characterize activating or inhibitory effects of NK cells on eosinophils. So that's the last thing that I want to highlight, characterizing to the end. So that feels really strong. This passage has been giving me a lot of information, and now I know they're going to tell me about the studies. So they told me what they were looking for, and now they're going to tell me how they did it. So first, eosinophils and NK cells were cultured in round-bottom microwell plates at different ratios of NK cells to eosinophils in the presence of interleukin-5 at 20 nanograms per milliliter. Eosinophil activation was evaluated after 3 and 12 hours by the measurement of cell surface expression of the early activation marker CD69. All right, so this is like very much a methods paragraph. It's telling me literally what did they do. So first, I know they cultured the cells. So I care about that. I'm going to highlight cultured. I don't really care that it was a microwell round bottom plate. That's really overly specific for me. But I do care that it was a different ratios. So I'm going to highlight different ratios. So I know that there's different amounts of these types of cells. And I know they're in the presence of interleukin-5. So I want to highlight that as well. Because that tells me literally what's in the plate. Great. Different ratios of interleukin uh, of NK cells to eosinophils, always in the presence of interleukin-5. But then I need to know if they were looking for um, the activation or inhibition caused by NK cells, how are they measuring activation? So I know that they measured eosinophil activation or the eosinophil activation was evaluated by early activation marker CD69. So I'll probably highlight activation was evaluated and CD69 or early activation marker CD69. Because that tells me that that is what they used to figure out if things were being activated or not. So that's great. And then I have my, um, my figures, and I see the 3-hour and the 12-hour mark. And then I see that my x-axis is always the different ratios. So that's what they told me in the passage. I was going to see these different ratios, how much NK versus how much eosinophil. And I see that the NK is just increasing. So I'm going from 0 to 1 to 5 to 10. And then I also see the percentage of the CD69 um, expression in the eosinophils. And then I see all these long lines at the top. And so what I realized that means is that's telling me my statistical significance. And they gave me a little code at the bottom, a little key in the caption, saying that one asterisk is a P value of less than 0.05, two is less than 0.01, and three is less than 0.001. So all of these lines are showing where there's a statistical significance between the thing at the beginning and end of the bar. So I see a statistical significance between the 1 to 1 and the 10 to 1. I see statistical significance between the 0 to 1 and the 5 to 1, the 0 to 1 and the 10 to 1. And I see that on both of these. I see these different places where there's a statistically significant difference. I think the long bars on the top can be a little confusing sometimes to students. So you're really looking at what are the two um, what are the two groups that are at the ends of the bars? And that's where there's a significance between them. So feeling good about my figure. I've taken my time to kind of go through it, read my, um, my figure caption, and now I'm going to go on to my next paragraph. So next, okay, so this is after we did that whole thing with figure one. Next, researchers aimed to assess the effect of NK co-culture on eosinophil degranulation. After 3 and 12 hours of co-culture, samples were centrifuged at 1,500 revolutions per minute, and ECP levels were measured in the supernatants. No ECP was detected in supernatant culture of NK cells alone. Great. So here, 
I know I want to highlight effect of NK co-culture on eosinophil degranulation. I was told what degranulation was in the very, very first paragraph. And now I know that's what I'm examining. I'm examining what happens to eosinophil degranulation if I put NK cells in the co-culture. Great. Then I also want to highlight centrifuged. I care about that. I know what I'm doing here. I'm spinning it really, really fast so I can get all the solid things down at the bottom and this liquid or this supernatant um, above that. And that's what I'm actually going to be examining. I'm examining my supernatant. So I care about that as well. ECP levels were measured in the supernatants. So I'll highlight that too, so that I remember which part of the centrifuge result am I actually caring about. And then last but not least, I see just my last um, sentence really. No ECP detected in NK cells alone. For my own eye, I think I'll just highlight no ECP detected and then NK cells alone because otherwise that whole sentence is yellow and that kind of throws off my visual acuity, but some people may prefer to highlight the entire sentence. So, okay, this helps me. I know ECP was not detected in the NK only supernatants, but in everything else, we got varying levels. And then I scroll down to figure two and I see same thing. My ratios on the x-axis, my three-hour and my 12-hour, but on the y-axis, instead of the percent of CD69, I'm seeing the ECP um, concentration in these amounts. So I see how much ECP, what is the ECP level in my supernatants for these, and I again see my lovely asterisks and bars showing me where my statistical significance is. So I can see that the levels of ECP um, are increasing as the ratio increases. And so the implication here is that having that NK present is going to promote that degranulation. So I can see that is increasing. It's pretty spread on those 10 to 1 ratios, but I do see a statistical significance between the 10 to 1 and the 0 to 1. So that helps me know that, okay, there is some increase and it appears to be going in a like linear-ish fashion. Mm. So there's my passage. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> I think the WMC lied to me. The passage was not easy coming out of that hard discrete section. <laughs> well, the lies just never stop, is what we learn. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So question 18, which of the statements below is supported by the experimental results? As shown in figures one and two. All right. So I'll just scroll here. So we got figures one and two showing. Mm -hmm. Um, if my mouse were to work well, there we go. Uh, answer choice A, the duration of eosinophil coal culture with NK cells directly and linearly correlates to the amount of ECP found in the supernatant after centrifugation. Um, the duration eosinophil coal culture with NK cells directly and linearly correlates to the amount of ECP found mm -hmm. in the supernatant. So we have duration, three hours, 12 hours, directly and linearly correlates to the amount of ECP. Oh, man. So yeah. this, uh, obviously, we have ECP being found uh, mm -hmm. in both of these. Um. Can we say it directly and linearly? I don't know. Like, it doesn't give me any lines. I could potentially try to draw some lines. Maybe yeah. it looks that way. We also see that the, the y-axes are actually really different in scale. So for my three-hour, I'm going 0, 25, 50. I'm going up in increments of 25. But mm. in my 12-hour one, I'm actually going up in increments of 250. 
So that increase looks real different. Yes. Uh, it looks very similar. And this is such a common trick where they give you the y-axis all like messed around with so that the graphs look really similar. <laughs> but it doesn't actually look like that because these scales are so off. So yeah. that makes me very suspicious that it is linear. And I also feel like I just don't have the information I need to yep. confirm linearity here. Yep. I, I concur. All right. Answer choice B, cells cultured with a one-to-one NK to eosinophil ratio displayed statistically similar levels of activation to cells cultured with a five-to-one NK to eosinophil ratio as measured by CD69 expression. All right. So now we're talking about figure one, Mm -hmm. which is where we're talking about CD69 expression. Um, So one-to-one versus five to one and they don't give us time here so let's just look at one of the um things for now one of the graphs for now the three hour one we'll stick with um so one to one displayed statistically similar levels of activation to cells cultured with a five to one so we have one to one and five to one and Mm -hmm. we can see that the statistical significance bars the top none of them cover one to one to five to one, one to one exactly. and five to one. So they're not statistically significant difference. And so right. we can potentially say they're similar. Yeah. Um, so I like answer choice B. Let me just read the other ones. Um, so NK co-culture stimulates eosinophil activation while inhibiting degranulation. Um, I don't know activation inhibiting but we talked about we were measuring degranulation mm-hmm. right cold culture on we were measuring nk cold culture on eosinophil, eosinophil degranulation so it wouldn't inhibit degranulation that doesn't seem to make sense yeah it's the opposite it promotes it correct um and then answer choice c cold culture with nk cells significantly increased eosinophil degranulation in all groups as compared to eosinophil cells cultured alone. Um, And we know that's not true, right? Because um, there's usually there's a a range of at least one extra jump um, Mm -hmm. to get statistical significance. So I like B. I like B as well. (sighs) B was like a double negative runaround version of just saying, which one of these does not have statistical significance between them? I think that's important. A lot of times people remember the phrase statistically significant, but they don't remember if it's difference or similarity. So that's something to remember. And I say it over and over when I'm looking at things. I say, there's a statistically significant difference. When I see the asterisks or I see the little cross or I see the whatever, that's important. Because this was like the worst roundabout wording of that question, which is a really easy trap. Yes, very easy. All right. I didn't fall for it though. You didn't fall for it. For once, I didn't fall for a trap. All right. Love it. All right, question 19. So assuming that ECP was named for its electrical charge at physiological pH, which of the following must be true? A, the primary structure of ECP contains more acidic residues than uncharged residues. B, the primary structure of ECP contains more basic residues than uncharged residues. C, the primary structure of ECP contains more acidic residues than basic residues. Or D, the primary structure of ECP contains more basic residues than acidic residues. Yeah. So ECP, we know, is Mm -hmm. eosinophil cationic protein. Yes. And so it wants to know 
what is what is a cation? <laughs> yes. Uh. So I I am um you'll laugh at this. So I really like cats. They make me smile, so they're positive. <laughs> mm. Cat cations are positive because cats are positive. Um <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. So you have to be a cat person to do well on the M cat. Um <laughs> I fully had like M capital C-A-T on a lot of my like Google Drive folders and a lot of cat imagery. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so positive, positive. Well, mm-hmm. positive doesn't give me any answer choice here. So um, other than um, right, charged or uncharged. It, yeah. Positive, I'm assuming is charged. It's charged. It's got to be a charge of some kind. Yeah. Um, so that... Um, Wait, so the first two answers talk about charge, um, contains more acidic residues than uncharged, contains more basic residues than uncharged. Um, But that doesn't, I don't know how that helps me answer. I'm gonna let you break down these answer choices. Sure. So you actually just said it, you had it right, which was that the uncharged residues are uncharged. They're not going to contribute either way. So whether or not there are more acidic than uncharged is kind of irrelevant. The number of uncharged doesn't matter because they're not going to take a positive charge. So A and B, we can cross both of them out because I don't care how many uncharged residues I have in comparison to anything else. They don't do anything. So they do lots of things in other contexts, but they don't do anything with regards to the presence of a cation. So I know A and B can't be right because who cares about the uncharged ones? They don't contribute. Mm. Then I look at C and D. So then the difference has become between the acidic, more acidic than basic, or more basic than acidic. And so this actually requires us to go kind of outside the passage and think about our knowledge of amino acids and what the charge on our acidic residues is versus our basic residues. Um, Do you know this one or do you want me to take it? I don't remember, no. Okay, so the acidic ones are the ones that have, they adopt a negative charge. And so that would lead to an anionic uh, protein. So basic ones are the ones that take become a positive charge. Acidic are the ones that become negatively charged. And so that's just a, a memorization thing. And if you draw out your amino acids, you'll probably see on a lot of charts and a lot of things, you'll see the, the charge side chains split into acidic and basic. Acidic become negative, basic become positive. And so just for that reason, more basic residues than acidic residues means more positive charges than negative charges means cation. So, so this was very little of the passage, actually. So pseudo-discrete. Pseudo-discrete. One word was from the passage. That cationic protein was the only word we needed. Yeah. So one more time. So cation is um, the positive charge, right? Mm -hmm. And looking at our amino acids, you said if it's acidic, it's anionic. So Mm -hmm. negative. Yep. Um, So the... Oh, so I'm still not sure. You said the answer choice was C here, right? Or was it D? Uh, D, because it's oh, more it basic. D. Okay. Yeah, so more basic means more positive charges. Correct. So our acidic amino acids are our glutamic and aspartic acid or glutamate and aspartate, depending on how you learned it. And that has that carboxylic acid in its side chain, which can lose a hydrogen and become negatively charged. So that oxygen in the carboxylic acid has the ability to carry a negative charge. So we are going to see our acidic amino acids become negative or anionic, which I, for some reason, remembered that cats make you smile and onions make you cry. 
So cations <laughs> are positive and anions are negative. I learned that, I think, in high school from my bio teacher and never forgot it. So that's those. And then basics are the ones that they have a nitrogen-containing side chain. So that nitrogen can take on an extra proton and get a positive charge. So that nitrogen has the ability to carry a plus, which means that all of our basics, which are histidine, lysine, and arginine, those are the ones that can grab a proton and become a positively charged residue. All right. Apparently, amino acids are important for the MCAT. <laughs> Someone mentioned that once. It <laughs> sounded right. Gotta know it. All right. <laughs> Question 20. The researchers chose to co-culture all samples in the presence of interleukin-5 cytokine. Which is the most likely reason for this decision? Um, so we have a little bit of discussion of interleukin-5. Mm-hmm. Um in this third paragraph. Um, Why did they do that? I don't know. Um, So the presence of the cytokine. Let's keep reading. So I I can't uh, figure out, uh, I can't summarize anything from here. That's just, here's what they did. Why did they do it? Yep. Um, So answer choice A, interleukin-5 facilitates degranulation in NK cells. B, interleukin-5 inhibits the cytotoxic effects that NK cells have against eosinophils. C, eosinophils die rapidly when not exposed to interleukin-5. Or D, researcher the researchers were directly testing the effect of interleukin-5 on eosinophil activity. All right, so question, uh, answer choice D seems like, well, no, they was just, that's what they were doing. It was the presence of, I I don't see anything where they're like, oh, and here's different levels of interleukin-5 and here's what interleukin-5 did. It's just, here's, they were in interleukin-5. So I'm going to cross that into choice D. I'm with you. Because that seems weird. Um, And then answer choice B, interleukin-5 inhibits the cytotoxic effects that NK cells have against eosinophils. That doesn't seem right because the whole the whole setup of this study is to show the cytotoxic effects, even though it's in interleukin-5. Yeah, also the, the natural killer cells, their cytotoxic effects are specifically against stressed, transformed, or infected cells, not healthy ones. Yep. Um, so this, just, this would introduce a whole bunch of problems if that was the point of introducing interleukin-5. So that yep. seems just fully not part of the experiment. Yep. Um, Answer choice A, interleukin-5 facilitates degranulation in NK cells. Um, The wording of this is weird to me, right? Degranulation cells, degranulation in NK cells, but it's the eosinophils that are Mm -hmm. being degranulated. So that doesn't make sense. It does not. They're talking about the wrong cell, which leaves us with answer choice C. Yeah, which is so weird because it's like not in the passage. So this is very much a process of elimination question. But then if we like think about it a little bit, we're like, oh, I guess it was just the thing they needed for any of this to happen at all. Because it seems like they just needed to be exposed to it in order for any of the effects that we saw later to happen. They didn't change it. They didn't modify it. They were just like, here's my L5, have fun. And then they did everything else. So that was a weird one. I think for me, this would have been one that gave me anxiety because (laughs) I would have been like, that's not in the passage. Where is that in the passage? But that's why process of elimination is my best friend because (laughs) 
I feel confident about all the ones that we crossed off. I'm like, that's wrong. That is 100% wrong. And so that lets me feel much more confident, even if it's like a bit of a jump. Yeah. All right. 21. All right. Eosinophils play a major role in the promotion of the inflammatory response, which is marked by increased vasodilation, blood vessel permeability, and pain. The inflammatory response is classified as A, a function of the adaptive immune system, B, a function of the innate immune system, C, a function of passive immunity, or D, a function of antibody-mediated immunity. Oh, all right. So straight up, um, pseudo discrete here, talking about some physiology. So uh, eosinophils, major part of inflammatory response, which they tell us, which is nice so that we don't Mm -hmm. have to like freak out, which which inflammatory response. So vasodilation, blood vessel permeability, et cetera. So inflammatory response classified as, right? So adaptive immune system to me is like, I get a vaccine and I learn what needs to fight. Right, yes. I'm a- adapting to new situations. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like what eosinophils do, so I'm going to cross that out. Yep. Um, the innate, so innate and passive are the two other ones. I- antibody mediated immunity, I'm going to cross out as well because that's similar to answer choice A. Um, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Uh, answer choice B and C are similar. So innate versus passive. Mm-hmm. What is the difference in those two words? So passive, um, passive immunity just seems like, like a weird word. Like what is passive immunity? Passive is like, I'm not doing anything passive versus like innate immune system. Like, I have eosinophils. They're part of a normal immune system, a typical mm-hmm. immune system. That's that's innate to me, and it's going to respond to things that it doesn't like with this inflammatory response. So I like B just because I don't like the word passive. I don't understand what the passive means. Yeah, you have really good instincts about which words to hate, which is great. <laughs> but for people who may not have your level of like psychic ability to figure out which words are wrong, I always remember passive as passed on. So passive immunity is actually when you receive antibodies from a oh, different duh. individual. It's usually what we see like in breast milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. So passive immunity is what you get when you're a baby from breastfeeding. It's not your antibodies and they're not fully long lasting. That's why babies are so prone to getting sick because they don't, they haven't you know, built up their immune system yet. Yeah. Innate immune system is your kind of natural born without having to learn anything. It's what's pre-existing. It's already there. And the other way I kind of approached this was thinking about specific and non-specific. So the inflammatory response is very non-specific. It's just like, yeah. ah, stuff's here. Make everything horrible. <laughs> and it's, it's just your body freaking out, but with yeah. no direction. Yeah. Your antibody-mediated and adaptive immune responses are specific. They say, I met this pathogen before. I learned it. I built antibodies. I can fight it. I know its weaknesses. Yeah. So innate is our non-specific um, group of responses. Got it. It's funny. Pa- passive immunity. When, once you said it, I'm like, obviously, that's what passive immunity is. I, I couldn't figure out what the heck it meant in this situation. Um, but that's uh, that's the joy of the Passive MCAT. passed on. Yeah, I like it. All right. 22. A typical 22. eosinophil would be expected to differ from an erythrocyte in that the eosinophil... A, would not contain a membrane-bound nucleus. B, would contain a membrane-bound nucleus, so the opposite. Uh, C, would not be expected 
to be found in humid blood, or D would be expected to be found in humid human blood. So I love this one because, well, answer choice C and D are both wrong because the eosinophils are are found in blood uh, and and so are erythrocytes. So I I like that I can um, cross both of those out just because I know that we test for eosinophils all the time Mm -hmm. with labs. So um, membrane-bound nucleus. Um, We know that an erythrocyte uh, do we know that an erythrocyte has a nucleus? Oh, shoot. Here we go. So it's our red blood cell. Yeah, I know that. So red blood cell, um, we have our nice, uh, heme molecule in there carrying mm-hmm. oxygen. Oh, does it have a nucleus? This is some, some biology. I don't remember anymore. Yeah. This is like, think about the shape of it. Yeah. It, they look like a donut. It looks like a And in the middle, they have that like hole. It's yeah. kind of like making extra space yeah. for hemoglobin molecules. Yeah. Because they don't have a nucleus. They don't need exactly. a nucleus. They just need to carry exactly. oxygen. Mm-hmm. So the eosinophil would have a nucleus and the uh, erythrocyte wouldn't. Wow. So a eosinophil would be expected to differ in that the eosinophil would contain a membrane-bound nucleus. Absolutely. Wow. All right. Love that one. That was a very discreet passage section. Yes, it was. And I think that's something that is important to remember when doing like passages and reviews is that discrete and passage are not mutually exclusive categories. Mm. And so you will see, you will find if you're a person who really likes discretes, you will find some comfort in knowing that there's plenty of pseudo discretes to let you do exactly this, which is like, I know what a red blood cell looks like. I can do this. But I think a lot of it comes down to like, we learn a lot of science and a lot of high-minded scientific principles when we're studying for the MCAT. And then in reality, we remember like dumb little mnemonics. I'm like, the red blood cell looks like it has a hole in it. It's because someone stole the nucleus. <laughs> like, that's what I'm thinking of when I look at this question. I'm like, it's the one with the hole. Yeah. It's missing something. Passive immunity, pass on. Like, that's not scientific at all. Yeah. That's just what's stuck in my brain. And I think really leaning into that is very important Mm -hmm. for a lot of students because so much of this quick recall is about doing it in the least taxing way possible. If you have to really think through everything and you have no tip of your tongue, just mnemonics to grab onto, it's just tiring. And I think incorporating mnemonics and like dumb little memory devices, like red blood cells look like they have a hole because someone yanked the nucleus out of it. (laughs) That I think is often going to just tax your brain a little bit less and be a little easier to go through questions like this because you're not thinking so hard. Yeah. Oh, all right. A good set of, of questions there for that passage. Good, good set of questions overall. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. All right. So there you have it. Another great MCAT podcast for you. I love getting notes from all of you when you get your scores back and you message me and let me know that the MCAT podcast was a big part of your preparation. If that's you in the future, give me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net or just ping me on social media. I'm at medical school everywhere. Have a great week. Don't forget to check out blueprintprep.com for amazing free resources. I'll see you later. This is MedEd Media.